Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 18. Last week we looked at four of the six trials that were held throughout the night. Trials of Jesus, where sinful men looked to find some way of declaring him guilty so that they can convince the Roman governor to carry out the worst and most public execution of Jesus. False witnesses, lies, beatings, illegal procedures in the courtroom, conspiring against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is now in the throes of his sacrificial journey to the cross on our behalf. And to make matters worse, his closest friends and followers are going to betray him. We've seen Judas do this. Today we will see Peter do this. As we study the two sections here in chapter 18 that reveal to us Peter's denial of Jesus, uh, look with me at the first section and we find uh, opening with verse 15 and 16. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. As Jesus is brought to stand before the high priest, Peter and another disciple of Christ followed him. Who is this other disciple? We do not know. It is likely that it wasn't any of the Galilean fishermen, for they just would not have had the political ties to have a relationship with the high priest. Much conjecture over the years has gone on to debate or try to figure out who this was, but the simple fact is God's word is unclear, and so we will not reach for something that he doesn't deem necessary for us to know. If anything, it simply helps set the table for why Peter, who is a Galilean fisherman, a blue-collar fisherman, was able to get access to the courtyard of the high priest. So while all that we looked at last week is happening in the courtroom between the high priest and Jesus, an exchange now with Peter is happening just down the hall on the edge of the courtyard. Hard to kind of know exactly the setup, but look with me at verse 17. The, the clear fact, though, is that he's nearby. John 18, 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. The fact that in God's sovereignty, the watcher at the door is a servant girl is all the more telling of the depth of Peter's sin. Because it's not like the person inquiring of him at the door is some huge six foot five inch, 300 pound bouncer or soldier. It was a little servant girl. Someone who, by their simple physical presence, did not pose harm to him or physical threat. So why would he be fearful of being honest about who he was and that he was connected to Jesus? Because of sin. Because of our flesh. Because in our flesh we are fearful of what man can do to us. Because in our flesh, we look to protect ourselves. Because most people don't like conflict. And if you're the kind of person who really likes conflict, yeah, that's your sin too. You know who you are, always looking to stir things up. It's not that he was fearful of her, but maybe fearful of what she might say. It's a tense moment. These quarters are close. There's people around. Maybe she would turn to others. Others who could put their hands on him and come against him. 
But if you've been following the narrative, it is surprising that Peter, of all of the disciples, is the one who doesn't admit that he's for Jesus for fear of repercussion because he's been the most vocal in saying he would never allow anything to get to Jesus. He has shown in many moments a ton of ego and bravado and self-made confidence. And this goes to show that even in our bold self-confidence, pride, ego, we are weak in and of ourselves. I called this section in your sermon notes there, weak as water. Because it's a term I read A.W. Pink had 100 years ago in commenting on Peter's denial of Christ. He says, in himself the believer is as weak as water. Only two hours before Peter had partaken of the Lord's Supper, had heard the most touching address, farewell discourse, and prayer that ever fell on mortal ears, had received the plainest possible warning, and yet he fell. This also shows us the danger of self-confidence, calling Peter's denial of Jesus a beacon mercifully set up in Scripture to prevent others from making shipwreck. Another lesson that this teaches us, and Peter saying that he would die for Jesus. Jesus, I'll die for you. This is another common error our flesh is guilty of making in which we love to promise things that we can't or when it comes down to it, won't deliver on. Church, we represent Jesus Christ. We should be people of our word. Our yes should mean yes. And our no mean no. We should be slow to speak and to make promises, especially if we can't keep them. Why? Because of who we represent. Because we want to truly be a good neighbor. We need to be people who are not flippant with our promises and then often not follow through. We need to be people who can be counted on and that we, what we will say we will do we will do. But this is something Peter really struggles with. He's so quick to say, I'm in. I've got you. Nothing will happen. And then hours later, have nothing to do with Jesus. Let's refresh ourselves for a moment of who Peter is. Uh, uh, just a quick blitz history of this man. Peter is originally named Simon by birth, Simon was uh, originally from Bethesda, lived in Capernaum. He was married. He ran a profitable fishing business with James and John. He met Jesus through his brother Andrew. Upon meeting Simon, Jesus gave him a new name, Cephas, Aramaic, or Peter in the Greek, which means rock. Later, Jesus officially called Peter to follow him producing a miraculous catch of fish. Immediately following this, Peter left everything behind and became a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the next three years, he lived, he walked, he talked, he was trained by Jesus. Being a natural-born leader, Peter became the unofficial spokesman for the Twelve. We see many scriptures speaking to this. It was Peter who first confessed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, along with James and John. Only those three were present with Jesus when he was transfigured on the mountain. Peter and John were given the special task of preparing the final Passover. Peter was enthusiastic. He was um, strong-willed. He was impulsive. And at times he was brash. For example, it was Peter who left the boat to walk on water to Jesus. Peter who took Jesus aside to rebuke him for speaking of his death. 
Peter, who drew his sword and attacked the servant of the high priest in the garden. Peter, who boasted that he would never forsake the Lord, even if everyone else did, but then later denied him three times. The problem is Peter is still very young in his faith. A spiritually, he's spiritually immature. When he makes promises to Jesus that he was all ready to do, to do whatever it took, but he wasn't ready. The good news is Jesus knew that he wasn't ready and that he wasn't yet very spiritually discerning. Peter didn't yet understand what must happen to Jesus or he would have not constantly tried to stand in the way with all the best intentions. He wouldn't have always been fighting for the horizontal, for the physical, which is what Peter's focus constantly was, and missing the vertical or the spiritual application. A few other times that Peter did this, confronting Jesus or or proclaiming his loyalty, Jesus was clear to tell him that he would deny him three times. Look with me at two quick accounts. Matthew 26, 31 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, fulfilling prophecy of old. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter answered him, again, not having spiritual discernment for, for the vertical, but only seeing the horizontal. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, signifying morning, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. I love the added clarity that Luke's gospel in chapter 22 gives us. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Luke 22, 31 through 34, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, before the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Jesus told him clearly, before the day is over, you're going to deny knowing me. I mean, is that specific? I mean, surely that was just outrageous to Peter. It surely must have still been on his mind. And still. Can we pause here and just acknowledge how desperate we are for Jesus to intercede for us? Do you see... We can almost fly by it, but do you see what Jesus stated about Peter and Satan? Satan demanded to have you. Revealing a warfare happening 
that so often we're just completely oblivious to. To sift you like wheat. To separate you. And then the intercession of Jesus. But I have prayed for you. Do you you realize that for you who are saved, this very moment, one of the great, great works of your King, that we are so not enough recognizing of and grateful for, is His constant interceding for you. He's doing this for you, for me. That we see how desperate we are for His intercession. How often we are too self-confident that we're ready for whatever we think we're ready for, only to discover that we're ill-prepared. Our faith is being tested. Our allegiance to Jesus is being challenged. And we're all of a sudden, we're falling. We're failing. Church, see your Savior. See your victor, your prophet, priest, king. See him interceding in prayer to the Father on your behalf. Remember, he will lose none whom the Father has given him. Yes, Satan wants you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to separate you from God and your church family, from your faith and your testimony in Christ's gospel, but he cannot. Amen? Romans 8, 35-39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Look at verse 18 with me. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. This stands as a very interesting metaphor for the spiritual state of those who are against Christ. They are cold. Perfect metaphor for their spiritual state. And in this moment of seeking to look out for oneself first and foremost, Peter is all the more distant from Christ. Although Christ is just right over there, Peter too, in this moment, finds companionship with the world, with the spiritually dead, as he too is cold and wants to be warmed by the fire. See how desperate for Christ each one of us is, even after three years of investment. When tried, Peter cowardly slips into the crowd. See Peter stand among the crowd of his master's enemies, and warming himself like one of them, as if he had nothing to think about but his own bodily comfort. See Jesus, his beloved master, around the corner, down the hall, within eye's view, a cold prisoner being beaten and condemned. See Peter's abandonment and denial of Jesus, not just in his words, but in his actions. 
See how desperate Peter is still for the substitutional death and victorious resurrection of Christ. He would be emboldened on another level of faith and vigor for Christ after the resurrection. We too should be emboldened in this way, but we too struggle like Peter did, don't we? Christian who follows Christ from far off will become motivated to serve oneself first. And eventually you will be chilled. And the fire of your faith will grow dim and cold. The scriptures are clear that true saving faith will not go out. But it can and will grow cold if you don't tend to it. If you don't mind the company you keep and their influence on you to grow and mature in Christ or to look more and more like the world. Most of us have experienced moments in our spiritual journey like this, seasons where we, where we long not for God's Word or for true and real Christian fellowship and spiritual accountability so that we can be stoking the fire of our faith. Oh, let us see sooner than later that we are drifting to be near the lost and their man-made fire to try to keep warm. Let us heed the wisdom of Proverbs 14.14. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Let us see that Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. The refining fire of God is our source for deep and lasting faith. Let us abide in Him. Let us hold fast to His living Word that we would endure temptation to backslide, to be motivated by our flesh, to be comforted by man. so that instead we would walk by faith and not by sight. We must practice these things. Practice digging into God's Word. Practice truly, constantly inviting others in to walk with us and hold us accountable. If you have figured out a way to keep the church, to keep the Word at an arm's length, you are vulnerable Don't look at how long you've gotten by and count that as good enough. You are vulnerable. Abide, lean in, hold fast. What must change? Skip down to verse 25 with me. Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Oh, how our flesh loves to be accepted by others. We want to be in the in crowd. We love acceptance of man and we truly struggle with the fear of man. But this cannot be because we cannot please both man and the Lord. You cannot serve both God and money. Paul said, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Galatians 1, verse 10. 
1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We saw Jesus indict the Pharisees with this direct charge as well. He said in John 12, 43, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. A true sign of our sin is when we long for the approval of man more than that of the holy God. The Pharisees preferred the goodwill of other sinners above the approval of God. Oh, the madness of their miserable choice. What good will their popularity be when the hour of death overtakes them? For it has been clearly said in Mark 8.36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Youth, the world is going to challenge you. It's going to put before you the temptations of your flesh to say, come be pleased, come be fulfilled in the world's ways. And it's damning. It's a lie. It's a facade. Adults, what goal, what dream, what job, what family situation are are really the idols of your heart that if you just think, if I just had that, I would finally be happy. That relationship, that that finances in my bank account, that health situation, and it's fleeting. Jesus himself warned us of this. We saw in John 5, 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Later, James will write in James 4.4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we must question ourselves. We must test ourselves. Are you willing to forsake God to please man? You covet the approval of man more than God. Do you compromise what honors him to gain approval from others? Did you realize that this, this is not all bad situations? That this, this can sinfully happen in obeying our parents, in honoring our spouse. The line between honoring God in those things and making them an idol of our heart, making them our arrival, is crossing the line into sin. Do you compromise what honors Him to gain the approval of others? Is your highest affection and aim the Lord Himself and everything else is a distant second? One of the great dangers we're going to touch on in this sermon in just a moment is the danger of wearing a mask. That you would find a way to wear a mask in order to accept or have the approval of others, even those in the church, thinking that somehow you've arrived. When in the end, sin still rules, and God is not your aim. I would rather your apple cart be upset in order to discover the the prize that is God, the glory that is God, instead of run any kind of race for any kind of season thinking that the approval of man has somehow caused you to arrive. Paul was once a man who was famous and longed for the approval of his kin. In the Jewish church, he was one of the it guys. But in Christ, he found a whole new aim and new longing for life that put everything else in its place. Because here's the reality. In Christianity, Paul is one of the it guys, is he not? 
But he doesn't think that way anymore. Here's the way he thinks in Christ. Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Church, God is worthy of our praise, worthy of our lives. He is high and he's above and he's worthy of all that we are. May we trust in him and his sovereign will for our lives. May we not question him, but yield to him for he is worthy. Now, this is our aim and it should be, but we struggle too. We struggle with wanting to please man, chase the affection of others, or to make decisions because of the fear of man. This is why we, why we press in to grow into Christ, to all the more abide in Christ. This is why we focus on growing in our, in our doctrine and, and leaning in for greater accountability with other Christians and submission to our shepherds who are called to keep watch over our souls. So Christian, don't ever devalue these things. Don't let making more money, or your hobbies, or sports, or kids' schedules detour you from abiding and maturing in Christ. Don't just exist. How are you being discipled, how are you being challenged? How are you growing? What are you studying? Because in the end of the day, the stats of that team or the inner workings of that vehicle or the, or, or, or the accomplishments of your kid on pieces of paper that will burn up don't matter. Like what maturing in Christ under the eternal things he wants to do in and through you. Now don't overswing. That doesn't mean you shave your head and wear a brown robe and like live in a cave. Okay? But there's truly real constant struggles before us in all these things. So, Christian, don't ever devalue these things. To the non-believer, I pray you see how desperate for Jesus you are. For even Peter, who walked with him for, for three years, is still vulnerable, still needing his victorious Lord all the more to empower him to become the steadfast man of faith who will truly die for his master in the end, which he will become. Peter's desperate for Jesus in this way. How much more are you who are not even yet saved and born again? No one seeks for God. Look at verse 26 and 27. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, now it's family personal, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. The detail that this guy was family with the servant who, who Peter slashed the, his ear off is very telling as well. Surely it's still a hot topic among the family, for it happened just a few hours or minutes ago. 
So this guy is not flippantly inquiring with him like the servant girl at the door or the random guy by the fire. He's a family member of the person who Peter just assaulted in defense of Jesus. 500 plus guys on one side, just a few on the other. I think it was pretty clear and quick to remember who those guys were. Clearly seen as one of the 11 by Jesus' side. So Peter is caught. And yet his sin still prevails him to choose to lie in order to try to protect himself. Here's the evidence. I know it's you. Oh, no, that's not me. I remember moments, many moments in my sin that caused me to act this stupid. Clearly identified of doing wrong. And yet, I still chose to lie. My freshman year of high school, all my friends were older, so they were driving before I was. And my flesh convinced me that ditching weightlifting as a one of my PE periods of my day to go have an extended lunch and play Madden with my friend was surely not a huge detriment to my education. He's with me, tracking? <laughs> the problem is that friend was also really good at forging for people notes. And so I decided for the first time to play that game. And he wrote the note, which was good because no one's going to believe my note with my terrible handwriting. <laughs> Signed it as my father. Josh will be missing fourth period today. I don't know what we said what I was doing. So we went home and had our extra 45 minutes of playing Madden and what was really gained, I don't know. It came and went, and a few weeks later, my parents sit me down in the living room. Did you ditch fourth period a few weeks ago? And I mean, just basically described exactly what happened. I'm like, no. <laughs> so you with me? They just described to me what happened. I wasn't there. They, I mean, they weren't there. And I still lied. That's what just happened to Peter. Hey, aren't you this guy that just did this thing? Just, a, just like 45 minutes ago? No, it's not me. How deep our sin runs... By the way, I wouldn't have really got that busted, I don't think, for forging the note, but because I chose to lie to my parents, I think I was grounded for like a month. Our sin is so damning. We are so self-preserving in our flesh to avoid judgment and consequences that we will lie to manipulate and withhold the truth. Can I truly say how wonderful it is when the Holy Spirit works in us to sanctify and mature us to a place where you genuinely embrace confessing sin and repentance is valued and treasured and cherished. Some of you are going, what is that? It is something that happens at deeper levels of sanctification and it is wonderful to experience and in the seasons of immaturity in our faith, or no faith, that sounds like crazy talk to you. That you would actually enjoy, you would see the goodness in getting to confess sin, and deal with it, and, and move on. I know for many of you, you're not there yet. I know that some of you have tasted this at times. And for a growing number of you, you are truly coming to know the goodness of this. Praise God. 
for that journey of sanctification, disciple-making is at work in our church. To not be bound in guilt and shame, but freed to confess your sin instead of hiding or avoiding or leaving. People will just leave or lying. It's truly a great gift of God as he sanctifies us in the work of the Holy Spirit. Consider again the depth of the hurt of the betrayal of Judas against Jesus, Jesus and the disciples. Judas was one of the twelve. He was part of the core crew. And we love to point out the hurt and betrayal of Judas. I mean, in a world system, he's the example of deep betrayal. But Peter, who was also part of the core crew, more than that, he was a leader of the twelve and part of the inner circle of the three, should really be seen as all the more. One theologian of old said the betrayal of Judas, though more dreadful, is almost less startling than the denial by Peter. We are less prepared for the cowardice of the one than the covetousness of the other. Here's Peter denying he even knows Jesus. I don't even know the guy. It's not that he said, yeah, I'm one of them. But I'm not going to do anything about it. That'd be one level. But he goes so far to lie so bad. He says, I don't even know who you're talking about. Who? Jesus who? I don't know that guy. I don't even know the man. He lied in this way not once. And then was convicted under repentance. He didn't do it twice and then said, man, i got to get this train back on the tracks. He denied knowing Jesus three times. Three times he was asked, and three times he said, no, I don't know the man. Church, see how far the truth is from him in this moment. How driven by self he is, how immature and vulnerable he is. Can I plead with you who relate to this today? You know, you who know deep down inside there is ongoing sin and you know the lies you're telling yourself. The lies you're telling your loved ones, your boss, your church family. And you're hiding in your sin and you're wearing a mask can I just plead with you today because I love you to stop? If you've done this twice, then don't let there be a third. And if you've done it 35 times, don't let there be a 36th. Fight it. Confess and repent. Confession and repentance let it start today. Grab it by the throat and drag it into the light. Stop feeding the monster deep in the closet of your heart. Drag it into the light so that Christ can kill it. So that the body of Christ can help you kill it. Drag it into the light so the light of Christ reveals the lie that you've been believing and it exposes it and brings the truth. As long as you leave it in the shadows, in the dark, the lie is not exposed. The lie continues and the sin will fester. Now here's the other thing. You are telling yourself that you are being loved better by not exposing it. But I would contend that it's not you being loved at all. It is a facade. It is a fake you. It is a mask that you're telling yourself is you being loved, but it's not you being loved. And I actually believe that's one of the next layers of why you're hurting like you are, because you know it. 
You know it's not you being loved. You know it's a lie. And so let's just stop the lie. And let's begin the process of healing. I want to know and love the real you, not a fake you. If the real you is suffering from unrepentant sin, then let's go to battle against it. Let's delve into the Word and be washed in truth and the power of God to set us free and leave our old ways behind. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So I ask you, why are you still putting on those rank and rotten clothes? Praise God for the grace of the rooster's call in Peter's life. Jesus said, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. He said this that day. That means today you will do this before the morning comes. Praise God for His sovereign work in Peter. God knew this would happen. God would use this to shape Peter in profound ways. Just as many of you have discovered how God has and is using your old sinful, selfish stuff for His purposes. Now, That is never justification to do sin, but it is cause for hope when we're caught in sin or finally see our sin, that we are not condemned, but that God will use it for His eternal purposes and for our good. What is not surprising, though, is Peter doesn't even realize that he's in this trial. Again, are you baffled by that? Jesus said, not specifically, hey, you're going to mess up. I'm not going to tell you how. No, you are going to deny knowing me three times before this day is over. Peter's in the middle of that, and he doesn't see it. To Peter, it's just a passing moment. But isn't that what it's like when you and I are in the midst of a trial? Often we don't even realize we're in the middle of it. We must become most mindful of the fact that God will use any moment and anything to test the heart or give us an opportunity to make much of His name. Are you mindful of that? Or guilty like Peter of missing some of the most important moments the Lord gives you to make much of His name and to avoid sin? Another old theologian said he was brought to no formal trial where Peter could gird himself up for a special moment. The whole trial was over before he knew he was being tried. So do most of our real trials come in in a business transaction that turns up with others in in the day's work, in the few minutes talk, or the evening's intercourse with friends. It is discovered whether we are so truly Christ friends that we cannot forget him or disguise the fact that we are his in these battles which we must all encounter we receive no formal challenge that gives us time to choose our ground and and our weapons but a sudden blow is dealt us from which we can be saved only by habitually wearing a coat of mail sufficient to turn it and which we can carry into all companies. This is back to my call earlier. Are you practicing the basics of digging into God's Word, talking with God regularly in prayer, truly inviting other Christians to walk with you and and hold you accountable? We need these practices, these preparations, for we are in a battle. But I say praise God for the rooster in Peter's life. I say praise God for the rooster in many of our lives here today. 
You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? God is allowing me and the preaching of this text to be a rooster in your life. The Holy Spirit will often use His Word to slap us across the face, to wake us up to sin that you have let fester and let rule you and keep you held down. Living behind a mask of excuses. This is God's grace to do this today. Church, healing can't begin until you address the sin or the hurt, forgive it, confess it, and then begin down the road of repentance. That's when healing begins. So are you you walking in the truth of the gospel, the truth of who you are in Christ, or are you living a lie? Don't ever forget the gospel and what he has done to set us free and the power at work within you. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, But when you were dead in your sins, but you were, were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulation, that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And then Paul later in Romans 6, 11 through 18, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Amen? Amen. Church, the good news is that unlike Judas, who stayed on his course of denying God and living for self, unlike Judas, who confessed his sin, but never repented of it, Peter broke. He broke that night when the rooster crowed. But not unto misery and being defined by his sin, he broke unto running to Jesus. He not only confessed, but he repented, meaning he changed his course. He took a new path in light of the gospel. He ran to the resurrected Jesus instead of into the shadows. He didn't do this immediately. But he did do it. He surely suffered greatly in the meantime. Can you imagine how much deeper the pain was for Peter to watch his master suffering on the cross knowing that he just sold him out and went against his promise to fight for him? and chose to serve himself. (coughs) Luke's gospel makes this so powerfully poignant as it reveals that Jesus was within view of all this. To make the depth of Peter's sinful denial all the worse, Peter sees Jesus look at him when the rooster crowed. 
Luke 22, 61 and 62, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord that he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. But see that he was undone, but he was not lost. Jesus is God. Jesus knows he has Peter in his sovereign grip. That he is one of whom he will not lose. But Peter must be sanctified in the refining fire. He must mature if he's going to do all that God has for him to do. So he must be brought low. And he's low. He's broken. Beloved, I've said this before. If in God's sovereign plan... He brings you low. This is not him abandoning you. This is not him putting his wrath on you. If you are truly his, this is his discipline. This is his test of your faith. These are your moments to grow all the more. To be refined in the refining fire. The most loving thing he can do is to give us the greatest prize of all. That is himself. And many times he does that by implementing on our lives the worst kind of storm so that we will see our desperation for him alone and loosen our grip on the things that we have believed are our satisfaction. That is his mercy to do that because what it does is it causes me to put my grip back on him, my hope back on him, my faith in him and not on these things. It is blessing to do this to us. To not leave us clinging to our idols, which our old self loves so much. We will dig into the repentance of Peter in a few weeks in chapter 21. But for today, let me say, I am so glad that God makes repentance possible. For without his grace-filled intervention, my entire life would be a denial of Jesus. Consider that. See the good news in the midst of whatever the Holy Spirit has caused you to see today, that you would truly deal with it, but that you are not lost. Because without new life, your entire life would be a denial of Jesus, not just that area that you need to begin to deal with. So there's good news in the gospel of grace. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this time together in your holy word. We thank you for the work you continually do in and through us as we look to the Holy Word to instruct us, to convict us, to form us, to mature us. We thank you for Peter and the beacon that this moment is for us to do business with our areas that we might not follow him into such despair and misery and brokenness if at all up to us because we do make war with our sin we do drag it into the light we do bring others to help us fight it and change our actions and our days which is more than anything we're we're in awe of you and, and the grace that you've given that we don't deserve Surely, the Holy Spirit is very poignantly working on many hearts, many specific areas today that we would not shirk those things and go get busy with hamburgers and mowing lawns or whatever we might go do, but that we would really make time and space to pray, to dig in the Word, to call out for brothers and sisters as we walk together. honor you that our lives would make much of your holy name not because of what we do but because of how you're at work in and through us for some in the room that begins with salvation it begins with finally seeing and savoring what Christ has done that we could never do taking into real and full account what you are worthy of that 
that your perfect standard must be met. To confess our sin and our and to trust our lives to you. But that's not just for unbelievers today, but that's for all the believers today, as we must do that every day. For your glory. Lord, help us to behold you, to have our eyes and our gaze and our lives fixed on you, that you'd be worshipped and made known of among the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.